We believe the Bible is our foundation. As we look around us, pretty much everything in the world that we know of has a shelf life. I mean, clothes, the styles change, the cuts change, and they're in for a while, and then they're out of style, and you don't wear them anymore. We think of things like cars, as much as anyone may love a classic car, probably most of you didn't drive in in a classic car. Some of you may own one and take care of one, but... Cars, they, they have a shelf life. They last for a little while, and then typically they don't run anymore. We think about important things like food. Food has a shelf life. If you buy a loaf of bread and just leave it sitting out at your home, it will last about a week. Now, if you refrigerate it or put it in the freezer, it could last a little bit longer. It just won't taste as good later, but uh, shelf life of bread's about a week. Actually, homemade bread is less than that. It's typically three to four days. When we think about some canned goods, they may last up to a year, and some, probably even though the expiration date may be gone the, or past, but they're typically good for another year or two. When we think about medicines... Medicine normally has a shelf life. It is normally a a year or so, and after that it begins to lose its potency. Or after a long period of time, some medicine even can can become dangerous. They all have a shelf life. With all of these things out there that have a shelf life, that they last for a while and then they're gone, they're out of style, they don't pertain anymore, they're they're not something that... that you know, we would look at in, in, in our time and say, yeah, I want to eat, you know, three-year-old, uh, you know, can of, of vegetables. I just don't feel comfortable with that. But there's one thing that doesn't have a shelf life. From a few thousand years ago to today, if we open God's word, we recognize that, that God's word still reads uh, and applies today. That it, matter of fact, in many ways, as it, we read it today, we can see and understand society and what's going on. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the word of God truly is alive, that it is living and it's powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Isaiah would say that, that the grass is going to wither and the flowers are going to fade, but the word of God is going to endure forever. And Jesus himself and Matthew twenty four thirty five would say, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so as we think about something that is going to last forever, we open God's word. And we recognize that the Bible needs to be the foundation of our lives. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and if you have your Bible, you're going to keep it open in 2 Timothy 3 through the beginning of chapter 4, and we're going to look at a few verses, but let me pick up reading in verse number 14. 2 Timothy three fourteen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation 
through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And with that, let's pray together. God, thank you for the truth of your word. And I ask that you would speak to us today. And God, that you would challenge us to be people of the word. In your name, amen. I've told you many times on many different occasions, whether it would be the last words of Jesus or the last words of Paul, that final words are important. And Paul is penning his final words in Scripture. As we step into 2 Timothy 4, we find that this is the last chapter. This is the last we hear from Paul. He says, the time of my departure now is at hand, down around verse 7 and 8, as he says, I don't have much longer on this earth. But as he's writing Timothy at this time and writing this last letter to Timothy, he wants to emphasize how God's word is going to last and how he is to stand on God's word through the uncertainties and through the darkness of the culture. It's interesting as you pick up and see the conjunction but and how it is used as Paul uh, uses that from the end of 2 uh, Timothy 2 down to the passage we look at today. Notice with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at the end, Paul is talking about how Timothy is to flee from youthful lusts. And he says in verse 24 that the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he is to instruct opponents with gentleness. And then the last verse, he says that there's going to come, uh, that some may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So that Satan is out there seeking to to bring people captive to his will. And then notice how he starts chapter 3. But know this, hard times will come. Timothy, there's the devil out there who's seeking to draw people in and know this. But know this, hard times are going to come. And he goes down through this list and he talks about how men are going to be filled with depravity and how they're going to love themselves and not love the things of God. And they're going to have a form of godliness, but deny the power. And and he goes on and says, and there's going to be people who are imposters who rise up. Guys like Janus and Jambres, who were false prophets of the Old Testament, he mentions in verse number nine. And then in verse number 10, he uses that conjunction But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, and love. And then he mentions in verse number 12 that persecution is going to come. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And in verse number 13, he says that evil people and imposters will come. And then verse 14, but as for you, continue in the things that you have learned. It's as if Paul is saying to Timothy, look, Timothy, Life is going to get very challenging. It is going to be very dark. But you continue in the things you've learned. Timothy, hard times are going to come in life. But you follow my teaching. Timothy, difficulty is going to come. But you hold on to what you have been taught. See, as we think about 
people and their depiction and their posture against God's word, we find it basically one of three ways. There are some who think that God's word is nothing just to be cast out and they put themselves as an authority over God's word. God's word to them is just an ancient document that has no bearing on our world today. And so now they stand as the authority of God's word and declare that is ancient history and it no longer applies. It's out of date. It's worthless. Then there are others who pick up God's word and they say, you know what? God's word is kind of like one of my friends. God's word's like a friend. I have friends and sometimes they have opinions and I have opinions. And most of the time I like my opinions better than their opinions. And they look at God's word and they say, God's word says some things, but I don't necessarily believe all that stuff. So I'll just let God's word kind of be a buddy to me, a friend. And I'll take some of it and I'll leave some of it. I'll, I'll take the part where he talks about love and forgiveness and goodness and kindness. But I sure in the world don't want to deal with holiness and justice and wrath and anger and God pictured as a consuming fire. I'll take him as a doting grandfather or as a gentle shepherd, but I do not want him as a consuming fire. God's word's just a buddy. The Bible has opinions, I have opinions, and I'll take some and leave some. But for those of us who have called on the name of the Lord, God's word is not something we trample over, not something that we put ourselves equal to, but God's word is our authority over our life so that our mind and our words and our life are all shaped by what we read in the scripture, by what God has revealed to us in scripture, so that we are not the authority of our life. I don't stand as the authority over my life. Instead, God stands as the authority and his revealed will shows me what his will is for my life. Now, for those who want to be their own authority, they, they say, look, I don't need God's word. I will stand over it. For those who want to kind of commingle a little bit of, of Bible, but a lot of me, then, then God's word just kind of stands as one of those things they can take or leave. But for those of us, and as Paul writes Timothy, for those of us who are going to make a difference in the world, for those of us who are going to stand and walk for God and with God in the world, we recognize God's word is our authority. Now, as we look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we find that Timothy is warned that there are going to come some days in the future that are going to be very difficult. He says that these are the last days. In the last days, there's going to be a lot of things that happen. A lot of pictures of how men and women treat them, each other and how their attitude is toward God and how their attitude is toward others. And we see that around us today. We see spiritual compromise and moral corruption and personal depravity and political rot all around us today. And yet God calls us to use the Bible as our foundation and to move forward in his will. So why is it important that the Bible is our foundation? Well, notice back with me in 2 Timothy 3, 16. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible. He says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, when we think of inspiration in our day and with our vernacular, kind of the thought is, is, you know, uh, I saw a beautiful sunset and it inspired me. 
I listen to a beautiful uh, piece of music, maybe classical music, and it inspired me. It gave me a positive feeling or this sense of good vibes. And yet that is not the picture of what this word means at all. The word inspiration, as it is translated from the Greek into the English, the word inspiration is really the word theopneustos. The word theos is the word God. The word neo means to breathe. The word pneuma is the word spirit. So the picture is, is that this word is God breathed. Scripture is God breathed. God breathed out the words of the scripture. God spoke through God is the source of Scripture. God is the revealer of Scripture. God is the one who spoke to give us Scripture. God superintended the process of writing Scripture so that, and this is amazing, Amos in the Old Testament could write like a farmer. Peter in the New Testament could write like a fisherman. Paul in the New Testament could write like a scholar. But as each one of them wrote through their own set of vocabulary, how they used it, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, superintended the process so that the words that they wrote were the very words that God had for them to write. Notice how this is backed up by the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, or just write it on the side in your, in your notes. He says, 2 Peter 1.20, above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture came from the prophet's own interpretation. The prophets just didn't make this stuff up. They just didn't say, hmm, I feel like I will confront a little sin today and write out things. He said, this was not how Scripture, Scripture was not a private interpretation. No prophecy ever came by the will of men. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God used the Holy Spirit through this process who carried them along. It gives the picture of borne them along like a a ship on the water. God carried them so that the very words that they wrote were the very words that God wanted them to say. Now notice, as we think about this, all scripture is inspired by God. Go back to that word, all Scripture, so that God's word is not only God-breathed, but it is completely trustworthy. God's word is completely trustworthy. As we think about God's word, we're looking and, and thinking about this book that, that these writers have assembled and God superintending this process that they would write the very words that God would have them to write. And Paul says, all. Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Matter of fact, if you go to the second Peter chapter three, you're going to find that Peter takes Paul's writing and calls it scripture. Paul's writing, just like the rest of scripture, some men try to, to distort it, just like the rest of scripture. So Peter affirms that Paul's writing is scripture as well. Now, as we think about the original manuscripts, we don't have them. We don't have the original uh, piece of of paper that the prophets wrote upon. However, what we do have is 5,000 Greek manuscripts 
8,000 Latin manuscripts and over 1,000 manuscripts and other languages. And as they have put them together, Ken Boa, a theologian, has said that 99.5% of that all agrees and lines up in perfect purity. And the other 0.5%, he says, as we look at textual criticism and compare one text against another, we pretty well can gather what was trying to be said and what maybe a scribe uh, maybe turned a letter around uh, or uh, put a letter in in opposite order. He's saying, this book, as God has worked and moved, God not only revealed it, but God has preserved it in such a way that you can trust the Bible that you have. Now, nothing else compares to the number of manuscripts that, is, that are held out in the, against the, the biblical manuscripts that are held out. I think some of Homer's writing may have 2,000, where we have almost fourteen to 15,000. There is this confidence that we have in Scripture. It is completely trustworthy. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture. But secondly, we not only believe in the inspiration of Scripture, but we recognize the intention of Scripture. We recognize the intention of Scripture. As we think about what is Scripture really showing and what is Scripture really trying to to get us to understand, Notice in, in verse number 15 with me. He writes to Timothy and says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? When we recognize the intention of Scripture, Scripture makes us wise unto salvation. That's exactly what he says right there in that passage. Notice again in verse number 15. He lays it out. Timothy, from childhood, from infancy, you've known the sacred Scriptures. You've known this. You've understood this. Scripture makes us wise unto salvation. Now, Timothy, as we think about him... uh, had what, what we might call a T-E-L legacy. You say, what's a T-E-L legacy? Well, you know, you've learned a lot from your parents. You've learned a lot from your grandparents, probably. And back over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, look around verse number 5 and following, and we find that Timothy, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scripture. Who did he learn that from? Well, Timothy learned it from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. What do we find? That the legacy of faith that made Timothy wise unto salvation was handed down from grandmother to mother to grandson, son. What what we find is, is that there is a legacy. And what a challenge that is for those of us who are parents. That when we think about all the things that we teach our children, we, you know, try to start setting them up where they'll stand in their wobbly legs and then get them to take those first steps. And we always try to get them to say their first words. And mamas always want them to say, ma, 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 but they never do. They always say, dad, dad, dad first, because it's easier to say than ma, ma, ma. It doesn't take the lips yet. All right. So they always say, da, da, da. That's, and then they learn to make sounds and you teach them that. And then you get them up and walking and then they're riding a bike and throw 
in a baseball. They're starting to do cartwheels. And now you're putting them on the bus for kindergarten. And then you blink and now you're watching them walk across the stage for graduation and all the things that you've taught them and all the times that you've shared and the times that they've been behind the wheel and you've been on the other side praying, oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Uh, all of those times. But, but what we find here is the importance of passing down our faith. That this started with grandmother and then passed to a daughter and then passed to a son slash grandson, Timothy. And it's interesting that, that neither of the men, the husbands, are mentioned in this passage. Neither Eunice's or Lois's, but each of these moms took responsibility to say, we don't know where dad is necessarily, but this is what we know. Our family is going to hear the truth of God. And so those of us who are dads, we need to make sure our children hear the truth of God. And moms, you need to make sure that your children hear the truth of God. From childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. What do you need to know about salvation? We need to know that we're all sinners, that none of us can get to heaven on our own, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, that we are going to die and be separated from God forever if we do not do something spiritually. Romans 6.23 ends that verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we come to understand that Jesus is the one who died on the cross to pay the punishment for my sin, to take the penalty that I deserve. And he rose again and through Jesus alone and through faith alone, I can experience salvation. This morning, someone gave testimony of baptism, a couple, and they, they were asked the questions, do you believe that Jesus uh, died on the cross and rose from the dead, and are you trusting him alone as the only way of salvation? And the question is for you today, have you experienced the, the way of salvation? Have you become wise unto salvation through faith? Have you placed your faith in Jesus alone? But not only does Scripture make us wise unto salvation so that we can come to know Jesus, but then Scripture makes us wise in our salvation. So that as we walk our life in relationship with God in salvation, that we walk in wisdom. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. It is beneficial. It is purposeful. What does it do? Notice with me at the end of verse number 16 into the beginning of verse number 17. He says that the scripture is inspired for God. It's profitable for teaching. That's giving proper instruction. For rebuking. That's when they get out of line. So we want to teach them right. That's instruction. Then we rebuke them when we're not right. They're not right. So that ultimately we can correct and instruct them back in the way of right. It's profitable for teaching, showing them the way that's right. Rebuking when they're not right. For correcting That's setting them right once they've gotten off and then for training them in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped, that the man of God, that the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, that we may stand mature in our faith, ready to face a challenging world that is out there. As 
as we think about this making wise in salvation, we recognize there's a call in our life. And the call in our life is to know God's word. Can I tell you, culture is getting darker around us. Depravity is growing. We're seeing days like we've never seen in the United States before. Not anything new to the Roman era as far as the immorality and idolatry around us. But we've not, we've not witnessed this. 40 or 50 years ago when we would talk about being a Christian, we would talk about even the possibility of having what we would think of as home court advantage because everybody had some cultural understanding of what Christianity was and, and what Jesus taught. And now, in the last 50 years or so, things have completely gone off the spiritual and moral rails. And so now is the day that we have to train in righteousness and be wise in our salvation. So that 2 Timothy 2.15 says that you need to study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that need not be ashamed. This is the theme of Awana. A workman that is not ashamed. They know God's word. They study God's word. They meditate on God's word as Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So it's studying God's word, and it's thinking about God's word. It's memorizing God's word. Your word have I hid in my heart, Psalm 119.11, that I might not sin against you. It's saying, look, I want this word to bring a transformation in my, in my life so that I'm no longer conformed to the world. I'm not going to give in to the culture. I'm not going to go along with what the crowd says. Instead, I'm going to be transformed because my mind has been renewed in God's word. Can I tell you, parents of children today, you better make sure your children are trained. You better take some some responsibility for this. I mean, we have kids for a couple hours on Sunday morning and, and two to three, and then an hour to two on Wednesday night. And yet they are being bombarded on social media. They are being bombarded by TV. They are being bombarded by a secular worldview out here. So the key is not that, that you can just take them and, and, and circle them and, and shelter them from everything. Matter of fact, isn't this exactly what Jesus said back in the Beatitudes? He said, look, when you go out and live the Beatitudes out, what's going to happen? Persecution is going to come. And Jesus didn't say, oh, well, persecution comes, man. Let's back off. Instead, he said, no, go be salt, go be light. Show the difference that Jesus makes to the world. And so if they're going to make a difference in the world, they better be wise in their salvation. We recognize the intention of Scripture. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture. But thirdly, let's think of this thought very quickly. We affirm the proclamation of Scripture. Notice how he starts verse number two in chapter four. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does he say back in in verse number one? That Jesus is going to come, who's going to judge the living and the dead. And he's going to, to welcome in his kingdom. But until then, until then, until then, until the kingdom comes, 
Proclaim the word. That's what he says. Proclaim the word. The word proclaim here is not a Bible word. Instead, it's a political word. In those days, the kings obviously just couldn't pick up a telephone and they didn't have, a, uh, they didn't have smoke signals. They, they didn't have texting and they didn't have social media. So what did they do? When the king was going to send forth a message, they sent forth proclaimers, heralds. You know the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? They were heralds. They were proclaiming something. And what were they proclaiming? They were proclaiming the words of the king. Hear ye, hear ye. The king says, you better straighten up or he's coming in. Hear ye, hear ye. The king says, everybody needs to be here for this time at this place. Hear ye, hear ye. That's the picture. And now, as believers, he's saying, we need to take the word of the king and we go forth and we proclaim to everybody. Now listen, many of you will never stand on a, on a, on a platform and preach. That's not how God wired you. That's not how God gifted you. And frankly, some of you'd be scared to death if you were up here. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. God didn't call you to do that. If God called everybody to be up here, then nobody would be out there to listen to the people that were trying to be up here. We'd just all be fighting on who was going to be loudest up here. The picture is, is that doesn't just say, oh, well, I, because I can't preach, then I'm not a proclaimer. You are a proclaimer. You might have a small influence of a few people. There might be a few people in your circle that are close. And what are you to do? Share the word. Share the truth. Naturally. Lovingly. Kindly. Share the truth. Because he says, look, if you don't share the truth, what's going to happen? Notice verse number three. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they'll multiply teachers for themselves. They have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They'll turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside the myths. If someone don't tell people the truth, people are just going to gravitate toward what feels good to them. And some, even as you share the truth, are just going to turn away and gravitate toward what pleases them. But we're to go and we're to share Anyway, we proclaim the word, and then we live the word. Notice how he closes in verse number four and five, this paragraph. He says, he talks about those who turn from the truth, but he says, but as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Live the gospel. Live differently. Endure hardship. Live differently. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Some of you, as we think about those words, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Some of you will have seasons where you have to endure hardship and face affliction. But even then, he says, don't only live it, but share the word. Be a proclaimer of the word. Matter of fact, some of your most influential time of sharing and speaking with someone else, maybe that time when you're going through your hardest and deepest valley. Because when they watch you go through the deepness of that valley and they hear you sharing the truth of who he is, it can make a difference in their life. Julie and I had just been married a couple months when I was getting ready to go back into seminary. And at the time, I was, uh, I was at a liberal seminary that, put question marks on a lot of the things of God's word. 
And as I went to this seminary and I had a diagnosis, a doctor looked at me and said, I think you have cancer and sent me to some other places. And and it came out to be a bunch of nothing really. But the truth of the matter is, is as I'm sitting in class one day thinking, this guy is doubting scripture, causing doubt all over scripture. And there comes a time when you have to think and you have to make a choice. Am I going to take scripture and say, I'm smarter than it. I can take it or leave it. Or am I going to say, I'm building my life on this. And until the day I die, I pray that this book will be the authority over my life and that my proclamation and my living may show that this book is the authority of my life. You all have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. And I think that choice is, are we going to proclaim and live? Or are we going to let culture cause us to shrink back and compromise? You say, I don't know if I am strong enough to stand up. Well, can I tell you? You're not. But faith comes by hearing the word of God. As you get into this book, your faith will grow. And you'll find yourself stronger than you thought you were going to be. And more steadfast than you thought that you were able. And immovable in cultural storms that you thought would have blown you over years ago. And there's a challenge for us. Let's fill ourselves up with God's word. Study, read, memorize. And then let's go out and share it. And live it to the glory of God. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that uh, if anyone here is not wise unto salvation, they've never trusted Jesus. God, that today that you would open up their heart to recognize that, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for their sin and rose again and you offer forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, many of us are believers here. And some, maybe this week, over the last month, their spiritual life has become dry and dusty, and now, Lord, you're calling them back. You're calling them back to the fervor and love of a relationship. And, Lord, would you grant it today? Would you challenge us today to be people who love you, who love your word, and who stand on your word and your name? Amen.